0: Hi everybody, and welcome. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and it is our privilege to have with us Matthew Woodall, who is the lead emergency management advisor at Horizon Health Network. Hi, Matthew. Hi. Great to have you with us. Thanks for giving us your time.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Why don't you tell us about your journey in emergency management?
1: So I fell backwards uh, into emergency management. Uh, it was never it was never somewhere I intended to go. Um, I. Uh, Started out as a, uh, my apologies, I'm at work and and that was uh, an overhead announcement if you happen to hear that, so my apologies. (laughs) No problem. Um, So I fell backwards into emergency management. I started out as uh, as a volunteer firefighter and first responder and um, ended up having the opportunity to do some. Uh, advanced level courses, as well as participate in some uh, large exercises. Very early on in my career, I got the opportunity to um, work as uh, essentially uh, an operations officer and a liaison officer uh, during a provincial level exercise. Um, and while I love firefighting and, and love medical first response, I discovered that my, my skill was much more strategic than it was tactical. and um, And so I began exploring um, emergency management and, and doing those types of, of courses and learning out um, how that applied. And so um, while I was working in the province of Saskatchewan, um, I was there as a uh, an emergency medical dispatcher uh, with one of our uh, ambulance services, um, had an opportunity to participate in the design of uh, an emergency plan Uh, for a facility that had a a large number of critical infrastructure issues um, as well as the opportunity to um, work on some larger pieces around uh, emergency preparedness for our uh, call center Um, we were located uh, right beside a very busy rail line and so there were uh, some pieces there that, uh, you know, how do we how do we look after our people in the event of a, a derailment and that kind of thing? Um, and those led me to an opportunity to join the uh, government of Saskatchewan in uh, the Ministry of Health and Emergency Management portfolio. Um, and so from there, I was responsible for um, policy and, and program advice uh, for the entire province of Saskatchewan, uh, which Um, We were quite lucky being inland, you know, we didn't have to worry as much about hurricanes or tsunamis, but um, we had quite a number of of major issues, uh, derailments. Um, I had one of those cinema moments where I was on a briefing call about severe weather and uh, everybody's pager went off at pretty much the exact same time as we had a a major wildfire blow through um, and was also part of the team uh, that responded to Uh, and help manage the Humboldt Broncos bus crash where we had uh, uh, a bus full of junior hockey players was struck by a transport truck um, that resulted in uh, multiple fatalities and a large, um, a a very long uh, psychosocial response afterwards to, to help the community deal with that tragedy. Um so since then, uh, I have had the opportunity to transition out to the East Coast um, and uh, am now out in New Brunswick where I am responsible uh, for 33 ish facilities uh, along the Bay of Fundy, um, and those range from community health clinics um, all the way up to the level one trauma center for the province uh, and for the province of PEI. Uh, and so, we uh, that it's it's been a very interesting journey and one that has uh, given me an opportunity to do lots of really interesting things.
0: So tell us about that. Your current role that you have now Um sounds like you have quite a wide range of different facilities that you look after. So I can imagine the situations that you have to handle are, are wide in their range.
1: Yeah. And so uh, there's one of me. um, And as much as I would like for there to be 33 of me, (laughs) there's only one of me. Um, So a lot of my work is very much about uh, designing policy and procedures that we can take and replicate uh, in our facilities. And the, the big focus of my work is very much about empowering people at the local facilities and the local levels to be able to lead through the Uh, First hour or two of of a situation until we can get additional support there Um, and so it's very much about making sure that people understand the basics of uh, What are our priorities in an emergency? And what are the things that we absolutely have to look after and what can we leave for later? Um, a lot of my work uh, my office is is at uh, the Level 1 Trauma Facility, and, and a lot of my work does take place here because um, this particular site is absolutely mission critical. Um, under no circumstances can this facility fail. Um, and so, especially during COVID, that means that uh, I have to make sure that um, not only am I making sure that we're ready for disasters and emergencies, but that we're also um, looking after our capacity and making sure that um, we have the additional pieces in place. And And people often forget uh, in healthcare emergency management, everyone focuses on, on uh, the mass casualty incidents, what mm. we call code orange mm. um, and that type of thing. But people forget that just as important as the clinical piece are all of the additional Um, supportive pieces. Um, We can't run a level one trauma center if we don't have a functioning lab. Um, Mm. We can't run any type of facility if we don't have linen or food and nutrition or environmental services. Um, And so it's a balancing act of making sure that we have all of those those pieces and that they have enough resiliency in the system uh, to keep operating no matter what happens.
0: You mentioned about creating policies and procedures so that they, they can be replicated. What do you find are uh, some of the consistent troublesome issues around replication, because you have a wide range of facilities?
1: So the what I have found key to replication is that um, you always want to start with uh, a policy that works. Um, and the policy that is um, I don't want to say generic enough, but high level enough that it provides information and advice to um, the people who are able to create the the procedures at the local level. And then um, you may not be able to replicate the procedure exactly uh, in every place, but uh, the goal is that um, everyone will have the same understanding of what to do in an emergency, and so. Here at the Level 1 Trauma Center, what we do in the event of a fire um, is going to be almost exactly the same thing as we do in our community health facility downtown, um, as we do in our uh, one of our regional facilities that is uh, you know, located out on Grand Manan Island. So all of our staff have the same understanding so that they're able to move around. Um, the specifics you'll always need a local orientation um, you'll always need to know where pole stations are located and um, where to go to meet the fire department but the same principles and procedures are going to apply in every location so if you make sure that you have the same level of understanding across the network um, and the same expectations uh, it becomes a lot easier to worry about the the local items because you're already starting with the same base knowledge um, with every employee.
0: Are you doing many exercises and designing them across your network? Uh,
1: so COVID has really kind of put a damper uh, on exercises. We are okay. actually deep in the midst of our fourth wave uh, right now. We are... Um, I won't say that we're struggling, but we have significant capacity issues and uh, significant turnover as as people have gotten burned out. Um, We are in the process of of putting uh, an exercise plan into place, um, but we are uh, probably a year or two away from having a full-fledged exercise. Where we have the capability, um, we try and do that. Um, But right now, um, everyone is so burnt out um, from COVID um, and from you know. The, I, I have an absolutely fantastic boss, and he has essentially not had a single day off uh, in two years. Um, and so we're we're working wow. on that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, exercises are huge and very important. Um, but we have to have the the capacity and the support to be able to do them.
0: Yeah. I was speaking to Jolie Willis two weeks ago from Hummingley who um, has really had a leading role in the response to the Christchurch earthquake and one of her key research areas was around how do organizations look after their people and look after their leaders and when, when the response becomes we're living with this crisis over a period of years and this is 10 years now after the Christchurch earthquake and she developed these resources uh, the Doing Well Activity Guide which I've got to set here and also the doing well cards around that. I'm, I'm hearing more and more as we continue to work through COVID and now the new variants about the burnout and the turnover of staff. And can you tell us more about that? I know you don't want to give away too many details about your own internal organisation, but what are, what are some of those challenges and how are they being manifested and how can we respond and support?
1: So... The the biggest challenge is that what we are seeing now is largely preventable. Um, the mm-hmm. the cases that we are seeing now um, largely could have been prevented, uh, or if not prevented, at least had their severity minimized through um, vaccinations, uh, right. through people following public health protocols, um, and, and that's what's frustrating. and And I think the other part that's really frustrating for lots of people is that a bed that's taken up by a preventable COVID infection is a bed that isn't available for a heart attack or a cancer um, or that type of thing. Um, And so, you know, people, people still come to work every day because they are deeply committed um, but at some point, many people, and and we're we're seeing it across the caregiving industries, um, people run out of the capacity to give anymore, and and need mm-hmm. a break, and um, so that's that's what we're facing, and I think it's true in in most health systems around the world right now. Um, how emergency managers can help um, check in on your healthcare colleagues. Um, Mm. You know, pop in, pop in with a coffee, go out for a beer after work um, and just, you know, so how are you really doing? Provide, provide a bit of a safe place for, for um, Mm. real honest conversation um, and um, as much as possible, promote those, promote those public health, those scientifically backed um, things that are being suggested and, and recommended.
0: Right. So individuals like Jolie and her organisation Hummingly, are, are, are responding to this organisational need and, and professional need as well. Have you seen from the wider emergency management industry or sector a response and a push to respond to this need right now, for our own sake?
1: Very much so. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people have been really good about about stepping up. Um, I'm fortunate that I have got a a group of of trusted emergency management friends who um, right. check in on me and and make sure, hey, you know, sounds like you're having a bit of a rough week. let's let's talk. I mean, it's virtual. We're kind of scattered all over North America, but hmm. um, that is really helpful. and um, to even to hear from from colleagues that, um, you know I know I know that things are really rough for you right now and um, you know what can I do to help or you know do you need do you need something um, and even if it's hey can I drop you off a coffee as I'm passing through um, you know that that really makes a, a big difference and it is helpful um, especially in this role um, to know that that people are are out there and have your back and and are ready to mm-hmm. Um, help help you out.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you, you have your full-time job which is more than full- time when you're leaving emergency management. and also you have a role with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. Why don't you tell us about that because I'm amazed that you managed to fit all this in.
1: <laughs> there are weeks when it's a challenge, I'll tell you. Um, so the Center for Disaster Philanthropy is uh, a fantastic organization. Um, really devoted to making sure that um, the right funds get to the right people. Um, And so we work with donors from all around the world um, to make sure that um, the the funds for disasters are given to organizations that are working on the ground, um, are working really closely with people. Um, and my role with them is to take my emergency management experience and be able to translate disasters and emergencies into um, language that philanthropy understands. And philanthropists are fantastic people, um, but if you start talking about um, incident command system and, um, you know, objective measuring, you know, Measuring objectives and and that mm. type of thing. As soon as you start getting deep into the weeds with emergency management speak, um, they don't necessarily understand. So it's really about making sure that that they understand what is happening and how they can help, um, mm. and making sure that the needs are met as locally as possible, um, if that makes sense. And and so. Mm. Um, we work really hard to make sure that um, our our donors get connected with the right people. Um, And if donors donate to our funds that we connect with properly vetted um, and recognized organizations that are going to do really good work. Um, And COVID has put a little bit of a, a stop on some of our follow up, but we um, pre-COVID, we we would regularly go out into the field and and see how how the money is being used and report back. Right. Um, so that has, I think, the advantage to doing that as well as as on-the-ground emergency management is it gives you, um, or at least it has given me, um, a very global perspective. Mm. Um, you know, yes, my work takes place very locally in the context of about two hours along the stretch of the Bay of Fundy. Um, but because have, because I've worked with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy and and had that global that global view, um, I also am better able to understand that um, no, a, a typhoon in the South China Sea may not be di- impacting us directly. But three months down the road, that's going to hold up that shipment of Mm. X, Y, or Z that we're waiting for. Mm. Um, And so it gives me a a broader perspective and the ability to see things um, in a different capacity than when you're strictly local. Um, And in the same way, working locally has given me the opportunity to be able to translate some of that um, into really specific needs. Um, and particularly because my background is in health, uh, with with COVID, um, having that that local background has allowed me to be able to say, you know, this is why it is so important for us to have um, oxygen available, um, or mm-hmm. this is why it is really important that we are focusing on uh, looking why people are focusing on uh, supply chain as opposed to medical supplies. Um because it allows me to to see both ends of it. Um, and so I think doing both has actually made me stronger in both areas.
0: Really like that. I was writing down notes as you're talking about seeing the the bigger situation and how the impacts locally need to be responded to and planned for um, taking taking our our heads out, out of the weeds you know seeing the forest as well as the trees as a, as a unique perspective that needs to be developed by leaders what else would you say aspiring emergency managers need to build into their toolkit as they aspire to lead in, in greater organizations so I think the
1: biggest the the single biggest thing that I the single biggest piece of advice that I'd give to aspiring emergency managers is, um, to never be a hundred percent certain of anything. Um, we, as soon as you're a hundred percent certain of something, something else is gonna come along and change that. Um, right. What we should be doing is saying, this is, this is my best understanding of the situation as it exists right now. And new information may come along and change that. Um, and I have to change in response to that new information. Um, The more that we look at things with a question of what's happening as opposed to um, what is this, um, the more we are going to learn about whether it's a local situation, whether it's a global situation, whatever whatever it is. Um, The less certain we are in our certainty, the more likely we are to ask questions. Um, And when we ask questions, that's when we start to get um, the really good answers. Um, the other thing um, that I, I would offer, and this is something that I learned when I was working as, uh, as an ambulance dispatcher, um, is to go in with the mindset that uh, everything is an emergency until it isn't, um, which can be very draining if you don't do it properly. Um, So when I was when I was dispatching ambulances, every time I picked up an emergency line, that patient was in cardiac arrest until I knew for sure that they weren't. Um, Mm. And what that meant is that my index of suspicion was a little bit higher. I was listening for those things in between. And how that translates into emergency management is that um, when I hear of something happening, um, it is it's an emergency until I know that it isn't but it's not something that I have to action right away. So it may be that the fire department is going to a major structure fire with people trapped. But until I know that there are people injured coming out of that, it's not my emergency. It is an emergency. It is something that I need to be aware of and monitoring, but it's not my emergency until I ask the right questions.
0: It's really good. So never be 100% certain. Yeah. And everything is an emergency until it's not. Yep. And you don't mean be paranoid. No,
1: no, don't, don't be, be don't be paranoid. Um be be judicious. Mm-hmm. Um and and um you know it goes it, it really comes back to the always be asking questions. Okay, so mm-hmm. the fire department has just sent out every truck in the city. What questions do I need to ask right now? um and and if the the question if the answer comes back well they went out to to do x and it's taken care of and there's no problems then great you know that if people ask you can share that information um and you know that you don't have to escalate it within your organization if it comes back that you know they are you know they they've all gone out to a 20 car pile up on the highway well then you need to start making your plans accordingly Um, Mm. because not only does that affect, um, not only does that affect your emergency department, it also affects, um, people who may be coming in on the highway for appointments, or they may be stuck at the hospital, unable to get home, um, Mm. or staff coming in for shift change or, or all sorts of things. Um, so it's, it's really a matter of asking the right questions and, um, remembering that, there may be an emergency, but it's not your emergency until it is. Right.
0: That's really great, Matthew. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I know you're busy. Really appreciate you giving us um, your experiences and your wisdom. And thanks for um, sharing about some of the challenges that your team are facing and across the industry right now as well. It's good for us to convey that message and for all of us to be aware, to support each other. I love what you said about dropping in and checking in on people and going and having a beer or having a coffee with someone and giving them that time, a safe space to debrief and let it go. So thank you for the, the time that you spend doing what you do and giving us your experiences as well. We really appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you and, and good luck to all your students. And uh, if you ever, if we ever cross paths, don't hesitate to say hi.
0: Fantastic, so for everyone watching the recording and the students as well uh, Matthew's link, uh, his URL for his LinkedIn profile uh, is in the show notes and for those of you that are emergency managers particularly if you come from a military background, you've probably got that big binder full of certifications training, courses and everything that you've been on and maybe it hasn't translated into an academic degree whether that's your first degree or whether that's a graduate degree, that's what we're here for, so drop onto UAR uard.ac.nz or uard.org and we are accredited in the UK and with Texas A&M University System and we're able to give you recognition of all of your prior learning so we look forward to help you move your career forward and we look forward to seeing you again on our video cast.